Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. Today on Looking Forward, we're going to talk about a trend that affects our mental and physical well-being and has been somewhat sabotaged by the pandemic that we find ourselves in. I'm speaking about our experiences with the great outdoors. To help us discuss this, we've brought along an expert in the great outdoors who's going to talk about where we've been, where we are now, and where we're going in terms of our experience of the great outdoors. My guest is Johnny Malloy. Johnny Malloy is a writer and adventurer based in Johnson City, Tennessee. His outdoor passion was ignited on a backpacking trip in Great Smoky Mountains National Park while attending the University of Tennessee. That first foray unleashed a love of the outdoors that led Johnny to spend over 4,500 nights backpacking, canoe camping, and tent camping throughout the country over the past three decades. Friends enjoyed Johnny's outdoor adventure stories. One even suggested he write a book. Johnny pursued his friend's idea and soon parlayed his love of the outdoors into an occupation. The results of his efforts are over 80 books and guides. His writings include hiking guidebooks, camping guidebooks, paddling guidebooks, comprehensive guidebooks about a specific area, and true outdoor adventure books covering all or part of 26 states. Though primarily involved with book publications, Malloy writes for magazines and websites. He continues writing and traveling extensively throughout the United States, endeavoring in a variety of outdoor pursuits. Johnny is an active member of First Presbyterian Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. He is also a Gideon. His non-outdoor interests include reading, Christian studies, and University of Tennessee sports. For the latest on Johnny, please visit www.johnnymalloy.com. Hi, Johnny. Welcome to Looking Forward. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Johnny. I'm really excited to talk to you. I love the great outdoors. Johnny, can you please share with our listeners when you first became interested in the great outdoors and what were your most memorable experiences of that growing up? Absolutely. You know, actually growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, I never camped out one day in my life. <laughs> and then I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee from Memphis to go to the University of Tennessee. Sure. I met a guy that was into backpacking. And in the fall, Tennessee and Alabama play football. Oh. And football's huge down here in the South. Oh, yeah. And that game, he said, I'm not going to the game. I'm going to the Smokies to go backpacking because that's the ideal of autumn time for leaf color. And I said, if he thinks that much about backpacking, <laughs> I want to go. And he took me one time and I thought, this is the greatest absolute thing I've ever done. And since that day, I have camped out over 4,500 nights since then. <laughs> and I just, just saw the beauty of the outdoors and how much I like the physical challenge. I like the mental challenge. I like 
seeing being out in nature is just a great place to be. And so that's how I got started. Johnny, that's fascinating. So it's not like you grew up and your parents took you in a camper and you, like a lot of young kids, you never had any of that. No. In fact, uh, that very first trip, even though it was a disaster, we got lost, we got rained on, uh, we got a ticket by a ranger because we were illegally camped. I didn't, uh, and after even after all those terrible things that happened, I still saw the underlying beauty. And Knoxville, Tennessee is only 35 miles from the Smoky Mountains National Park. So you've got 900 miles of trails to explore. And I would actually, while going to the University of Tennessee, I would go hike, camp out overnight, wake up early in the morning, hike out and drive back and go to class and, buy, and keep doing that. So I ended up camping out all the time. And what happened was, uh, as I went along, I said, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. How can I do this? So I ended up graduating from the University of Tennessee with a degree in economics. Yes. And, but I knew I, the thing about, you think about outdoors and backpacking, if you and I wanted to play tennis, it's a three hour thing and we can go play and we can come back home. Right. But if you go backpacking and exploring, it take you got to string together a lot of days at a time. And that is tough to do and still be employed. So I had to think of a way to make money yet be able to have lots of free time. <laughs> so what I did is when I grew up, when I was going to college, I was a bartender. So I bartended on Friday and Saturday night after I, while I was, after I graduated and then backpacked during the week. So it's kind of a backpacking bomb, kind of like a ski bomb. Yeah. And lo and behold, a friend of mine, I'd spent over 400 nights backpacking in the Smokies and a friend of mine said, you ought to write a book about your adventures in the Smokies and I'll help you. And I thought about it and I actually broke out a, a pen and paper and wrote longhand by stories. And then he had a degree in, uh, <clears throat> in journalism and he actually kind of marked them up for me. I mailed them off to my mother. She typed them up, mailed them back to me. This is all before the internet. Yeah. Mailed them back to me. And then I put together a series of adventure stories that took place in the Smokies. And then my friend of mine and I, we actually walked to a, a bookstore and looked around in there, took the names of publishers and then mailed off what's called the query letter. Yeah. Where you say, I have a book that, uh, about the Smokies adventures. Would you like, are you interested? So I had two publishers reply. The first one said, yes, we're interested in your adventure stories and publishing them. Another one said, we're not particularly in, into your uh, adventure stories. However, based on your experience in the Smokies, would you be interested in writing a hiking guide? And I said, absolutely. And so there I got two book offers with one query letter, which is the odds are just so much against that. So I went out and bought one of these newfangled laptop computers. Oh yeah. And I had a contract from the, from the uh, publisher and I took it to the bank and they loaned me the money for a computer because that's <laughs> when they're more expensive. And lo and behold, I went around and told everybody I was going to become an outdoor writer <laughs> and my own mother laughed at me because <laughs> 
she'd never heard of me doing any writing or anything like that and still wasn't sure about this outdoor business. So, but I did, I, uh, and I uh, just persisted at it. And now I'm a full-time outdoor writer. It's an incredible story in some ways. So different Johnny from some of the other guests that we've had who maybe they ended up doing something that wasn't quite what they had planned but they had some sort of background or experience in it. And mm -hmm. here you are, a college student, economics major, yeah. probably going to go to the Tennessee, the volunteer game with the Go Tide, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, this friend of yours decides to suggest backpacking to you, and you go backpacking, and you wind up being a writer, and you never even written. You never camped as a kid. You never wrote. This is just a wonderful story to hear. I love it. Oh, by the way, one clarification, that first query, but more importantly, the first two books, we're talking about what, early 90s? Yep, early 90s. Early That's, 90s. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned computers and no internet and all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Looking forward, Johnny, as you know, focuses on the future. But to do that, we first like to look a little bit backwards. So what would you say are the biggest changes that have occurred in the great outdoors experience over the past two to three decades? We're talking about before COVID hit us in the winter of 2020. And I would say if you could give an example that would relate to where we go, what we see and do, the cost, the equipment, the lodging over that period of time prior to COVID, what do you see as having been the big changes? Well, there's no doubt what it is. It's the um, electronification and of the whole outdoor realm. Everything has changed. Nobody carried any kind of electronic device with them except maybe a radio. And nowadays, when people are, are backpacking, canoe camping, they can use a GPS. They can use the, the, their phone if they have service. They are just, they're plugged in. They utilize all the devices that we have now to make their trip more easy. However, that does take some of the challenge out of it. And I've got a great example for you. I have a book called Paddler's Guide to Everglades National Park. <laughs> it's got over 500 miles of paddling routes. And there used to be, there's, there is a route and it's called the Labyrinth. And as you can imagine, it is a literal maze of channels. Wow. And before, before you had GPS and all this, you had a map and you had a compass and you had to have nerves of steel. And you might even have some tarot cards or some uh, <laughs> rabbit's foot, something else with you. But you did not know whether you got through the labyrinth until you made it from the this thing called Whitewater Bay, all the way to this place called uh, Hell's Bay Chicky. And there was, you didn't know until you were there. And then now you plug in your GPS and you can follow on the map and it's kind of error free. And that that's, that is comforting yet. It took away the challenge uh, of the labyrinth and, and going forward, or, I mean, looking, looking back at the, the other changes is people used to really go out and say you and I would go backpack and we might not see anybody or we, we would just leave and then we would come back a week later and we were either there, we either returned or we didn't return. Nowadays, people are, 
you know, if you go out of communication for a day or two days or three days, you don't answer an email or something, people start wondering. And I think that, that there can be an overdose of that. Like my particular situation, my wife, she, I told her, I said, look, I'm not going to have service everywhere. And I'm not going to have one of those things on my phone where they track you every, everywhere you go, people track you. You know, I don't want anybody to know where I'm at and I don't want to know where everybody else is at. <laughs> and, and I just think there's a, there's a, you know, the, the disconnect is a good disconnect can be a good thing. So when we get out, we need to disconnect. And I think that's the major change that people are scared, not scared, but people are hesitant to disconnect from their electronic cords where they can stay in communication. That's a fantastic point. I love this value of disconnecting. Couple of quick follow-up questions. When you took the labyrinth trail before there was GPS and that sort of thing, danger of reptiles around you well not not as much as you'd think uh, alligators really don't want anything to anything to do with you it's more of a getting lost thing i mean you could really truly get lost it would be like me walking through new york city with all the signs pulled off you know you can get you can get you can get lost in the labyrinth of 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 uh, aquatic waterways Yes, I, I can certainly believe that. One other question that follows up on that. You mentioned a great difference between then and we'll say pre-COVID, and that is the electronics. I'm wondering, can you say anything about any changes, Johnny, in where people go or the equipment that they bring with them or that's available to them or where they stay any changes yeah. there over the last a few decades absolutely well you know as, as our society has become everything's got to be hurried up and faster and people want a faster experience that people are more hesitant or they go on less long trips where they're just away for long periods of time. There's less of that going on. And a funny thing is, and I've written a bunch of paddling guidebooks, and I've definitely seen this, that before the whole thing was about going down a river or some waterway and not knowing what was around the bend. And yeah. that was the thrill. Yeah. And now people just want shorter trips. They want to stay in a, a singular lake. And also when you go down a really long river, you got to do shuttles. You got to, you float from point A to point B. So you end up at point B and how do you get back to your car at point A? So there's less of that going on. There's, um, oh, this campgrounds. Okay. The thing about campgrounds, drive up campgrounds is A, campgrounds that don't have internet access these days are definitely down. Mm. And also the funny thing is there, I've written a bunch of campground guidebooks and the thing about that is some places were truly secrets or lesser visited places, but people post them on the internet. And now people from all over the place will be at an obscure campground that, you know, they, there's nobody they knew that there's no way they could have known about it until unless they read about it. And, th and that can be good because like, if I was a, if I was driving to Pennsylvania and I was looking for a good place to camp, 
then I might look around and say, oh, that place looks pretty good to camp. And I would have found the information on the internet. So, so there's everything has a good and bad to it, you know, that, but I do think that the, the shorty, the short shortening of everything, the we don't even allow ourselves to do continuums of thought and, and continuums of travel are shorter too. And I think if we allowed ourselves longer continuums of thought and not everything, a three second Twitter bite or three second this and that, that that actually is good for your mind and good for your body and longer true adventures are uh, the most rewarding. Well, I think you've made some great points and I totally agree with you about that. And, and I also understand the value of technology and yet what technology also has taken away. Yeah, absolutely. Because one thing I want you to know is I'm not sitting here dogging technology every second because when I go out writing a hiking guide, I'm using a GPS to, <laughs> to, to create a track and it's the basis for drawing maps. I use a digital recorder. I talk into it, plug it into my computer and play back what I said. And I'm taking photographs with a digital uh, <laughs> camera, yeah. taking video. So it, it's all how you use it. It's and in, in how much you use it. Yeah, I particularly echo the how much you use it. Thank you, Johnny. That's that's great. We have listeners outside the United States, Canada, Europe, Asia. And so I would like you to address this question, if you wouldn't mind, Johnny, and that is the changes that you just alluded to in the outdoor experience. Would you say that that probably applies to elsewhere around the world too, whether people are in going to Canada or they live in Europe or whatever, these changes are pretty much universal or is it a little bit yeah. different elsewhere than it is here in the United States? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're, they're, uh, they're universal because people, uh, everybody's got a phone and whatnot. And, and I think what is this, the, the interesting universal thing is people now want to, show off where they've been, what they've done, what pictures they have, who they were with, and, uh, you know, Instagram and all these other accounts that people want to show everybody where they've been. And I think there's become a kind of a, uh, I don't know, brag culture for lack of a better word, but it's a, hey, hey, look at me, here's where I am, here's where I've been, look at me. And that, that, that I can see where they're coming from, but at the same time, they need to stay. We, we should worldwide, we should all stay focused on in the moment and enjoy looking at that waterfall rather than saying, okay, I'm going to take a picture of that waterfall and let everybody know I was at that waterfall. <laughs> that, that When you get to a waterfall, everybody's trying to post pictures of it uh, rather than experiencing the moment. And our moments on this earth are, are, are very fleeting. And I think we should be in that moment, be where, everywhere you're at, be there. And that's just, that's my advice to everybody. And I think that's occurring around the world that uh, everybody's wanting people to know where they're at and what they're doing, rather than just be where you're at and then let everything else take care of itself. Yes. And that reminds me, Johnny, of another guest that I've had on, and the movement that is called mindfulness. And Johnny's talking, you're talking about mindfulness, being in the moment, being mindful of what's happening and life is indeed fleeting, that's for sure. 
Johnny, as we move now to the current day, and we're in 2021, talking about since COVID hit us a year ago, what impact do you think the pandemic has had on our experiences with the great outdoors? For example, are we hiking, camping, canoeing, biking more? Are we actually doing it less because of COVID? What is your feeling about that? What have you experienced? Well, I can tell you that that is the outdoor industry has been one of the most effective affected than any other industry. And in you'd think, how's that? Well, started out when it first hit, nobody was going in the outdoors. And to, to speak to my own direct impact how it impacted me is visitor centers and bookstores didn't order books. And so I didn't sell very many books last oh. year at first because the, like the Smoky Mountains National Park Visitor Center didn't know if they're going to be open. So how, why do they want to order a bunch of books? And so sales were really low for me personally. And then all of a sudden, everybody figured out, said, hey, if we got to uh, get far apart and, and uh, we're already been in the house with each other for two weeks straight, we're about to strangle each other. And everybody <laughs> looked outside collectively because spring was busting out. And they said, there's the great outdoors. Let's go there. And we can be apart and we can be out in nature and exercise and so forth. And there has been a literal explosion of activity in the great outdoors, hiking, camping, paddling, trailheads. I mean, trailheads, it's unbelievable. They're packed. People are all over the trails. And, uh, and, and that's really good to see people out there enjoying right now, purchasing equipment for a while. You, you, you couldn't buy a kayak, a little one man kayak for love or money. And there's still certain things that are still catching up, uh, gear wise. And so it is definitely hit. And I know that when things return back to normal, there will be a slight drop off of people yet. I do. I am very confident that I've been making up this number and I have no basis in fact for it, but I'm saying two out of three people, I bet, will continue that are newfound post-COVID outdoor lovers. Two out of three will continue their love of, of the outdoors. So in tying it back to, again, the personal thing, 2020 may have been my worst sales year ever, but 2021 perhaps may be my best sales year ever. Isn't that fascinating? So, Johnny, just as a follow-up to that, you, of course, have done a ton of traveling and experiencing the outdoors. How much has COVID affected your own personal experience of the outdoors? Well, I've had, you know, my job is to go write books and, and I, I go, the reason I do what I do is so I can do what I do. <laughs> and and so I, I I was writing this book called Backpack in Tennessee last year, right when everything hit, and it, it required 780 miles of backpacking oh. in the volunteer states. So that takes a lot of time. So I've just moved forward, and basically for me, when everything when the, when state parks and campgrounds and things and tra oh, trails open back up, I hit them running. So as far as my own getting out that it really did uh, really didn't mess me up that bad. But I do think that other people, once they found one place, they're like, okay, here's a park that's nearby. Then they start going to that next park. And then they go to the next place. And then their eyes, and then 
I might run into Jeff Ostrop and, and, and you're saying, oh man, have you been over to so-and-so overlook? And then next thing you know, so it's, it's, a, it's actually an expanding thing for people. I think that's exciting. One thing I should have also had you clarify earlier, when you travel, and I know you're traveling in part because it's also a career for you. You're writing. Yeah. Yeah. You pretty much always travel alone, Johnny. Mostly, uh, my wife goes with me some. I've, I've averaged uh, camping out over 150 nights a year for over 30 years straight. Oh, my goodness. So if you add that up, that's over 4,500 nights of camping, which means if you camped out for 13 straight years, you could camp out as many nights as I have. You're obviously a person who's comfortable being by yourself. Yeah, uh, yep, absolutely. So, so, but when I go, when I go on a, I call it a book writing trip. I just what was in Nashville. I'm updating the fifth edition of a hiking guide for Nashville, Tennessee, greater area. Yeah. And I'm, I'm on, I'm working, I'm on the job. I'm thinking like a working man thinks and I'm, and so I'm hitting it and I'm not, quote unquote, trying to have fun. You know, I'm trying to get the job done. It just happens to be the greatest job in the world. Yeah. This past week, uh, there is just to clarify, there is no other job on earth that I have seen that I would rather have than the one I do. And for that, I'm blessed. But last week, my wife is a high school teacher. So she was on spring break. So she went with me. And so she's my personal chauffeur and model for pictures. <laughs> but she camps out about 60 nights a year. Wow. So, so that still leaves a 90 nights and then buddies of mine go with me here and there. So I probably camp out 80 nights a year by myself, but most of the time, as I mentioned, I'm working and I'm really focused. Okay. The thing that I find wonderful about that is that you are amongst a small percentage of people who are doing for your career something that you would probably do, would do for nothing. You did it for nothing for a long time. And that's when somebody has really found their passion in their work yeah. is they would do it for nothing. And I commend you for that. I think a lot of people would probably envy you for doing that. But the reality of, of it is it was a major commitment that you made and you knew that you probably weren't going to become Warren Buffett when you decided Absolutely. to do that. Right. And that was a key yeah. value decision that you made. And I really want to commend you for that. Well, thank you. Absolutely. You know, I, I had to, uh, I was the, I was the bartender that wrote guidebooks for a while and my friends would come in and say, how's your career going? I'd say, fine. Can I get you another beer? <laughs> you know, and then, then I became the outdoor writer that bartended. Then I became a full-time outdoor writer, but I am saying to you, agreeing with you, Follow your passion and the money will follow you, but you've got to stick with it. Most people quit whatever their dreams too early and it ain't easy, you know, that, but now here I am looking back, I've been writing books for almost 30 years and I got a whole shelf. I got over 80 books I've written and my house is paid off and I'm fully employed and everything's great. So I'm glad I stuck with my dream. This is so inspirational and it, causes me to ask you one other question before we get back into the substance of the things I'd like you to share with people. Your dear mother, who helped you with the first book, but also thought you were crazy when you were going yes. to do this. Is your mother alive? 
she is not but okay. but uh she was she it was funny because she be, became the my number one skeptic and then became my number one fan that's what i wanted she, to ask you so in she, the yeah, end she, she saw that you knew what you were talking about and she was pleased with it in the end absolutely you know if you said boy, it's a beautiful day out. She'd say, yeah, that beautiful day reminds me of my son who writes outdoor guidebooks. <laughs> I love it. So. I love it. Johnny, uh, along those lines, to some extent, let me ask you, what do you think are some of the biggest myths that people have or limitations that they may mistakenly place upon themselves when it comes to exploring the great outdoors? Well, probably the number one myth, and I hear it all the time, uh, the, the animals in the great outdoors are out to get you. Okay. you know that, it's a bear, it's a snake, it's an alligator. It's a, everything's just sitting out there and exists just to go bite you while you're out there. And when in reality, the truth of the matter is animals want less to do with you than you want to do with them. And that's just a fact. Everything runs from people. We are more dangerous to them than they are to us. And yeah, yeah there's exceptions and things can go wrong. And uh, But in general, that's the number one myth. Now, as to people, I can tell you this. People are capable of so much more physical exertion and, and rising to the challenge than they give themselves. The problem is we have, our society, we do less and less uh physical work and people have developed a very low pain threshold is what I call it. So if they're hiking along and they start getting tired, they think I'm tired or I'm sore, a little sore. I quit when actually that if they decided to increase their pain threshold or their challenge, they can go so much farther. They may hurt a little bit more, but they'll be rewarded a lot more. So limitations and myths, two key ones you're pointing out are people don't challenge themselves enough physically. And the other one is this perception that animals are out to get us. Yeah. And, and you know, the, as to the limitations things, it's just people are capable of so much more. I mean, I've been with people who we paddled and hiked and went way beyond whatever they thought they could do. And when you grow that way, when you realize you can do more than you thought you could, then you challenge yourself in other arenas of your life so there's a the physical growing physically also makes you realize how much more you can grow mentally that's terrific johnny now we're going to go to the essence of the podcast which is looking forward which you alluded to a little bit when you talked about two out of three we're going to come back to have you talk about two out of three here because i think it fits we look forward which is futuristic, but we also look forward because it's positive. I'm looking forward, right? Over the next, say, five years or so, what trends do you see in the world of the great outdoors? For example, do you think the demand is going to go up for experiencing the great outdoors in part maybe because of COVID or it would have anyway? What changes might you see in how we experience the outdoors, where we go, anything with equipment or lodging, anything? What do you foresee, Johnny, over the next, let's say, up to five years? Okay, number one, I'm already starting to see it. People are, this. the COVID situation has made people reassess themselves in their lives. There is a group of people who have said, you know what, I'm just going to throw off the old tried and true path of 
getting a job, buy a house, live somewhere and so forth. And they are pitching it all and saying they're buying a van, they're walking a trail, an, the Appalachian Trail or some other, lots of long trails. And they're just throwing it to the wind and exploring and living, literally living in the great outdoors. They're, they're put, throwing their 401k, not worrying about anything. And they're just living and exploring the waterways, pathways, camping all over the United States. And I see more of that. And I think we will continue to see more, uh, you could say vagabond, but I don't know if that's the right word because plenty of people are fully financially set to be able to pull it off. And there's other people who do kind of a vagabond outdoor work for hire kind of deal, going place to place, all ages of people, not just young people who have nothing, either too dumb to know better or older people who have just retired and chucked it all. There's people of all walks of life that are doing that. And what is that? Can you clarify what that is, that vagabond role? Well, it's, it's, it's people are saying, what, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? What am I doing? You know, am I just going to go work some job I hate and then go die from, from a disease and that's it. And they just say, Guess I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch that traveling itch. I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a chance and explore the world. I, I think you're gonna see a lot more of that. And in the electronics, it's made that more viable. You can bank on your phone. You can find out where to camp on your phone. You can find out the weather on your phone. You can find out the prices of somewhere on on your phone. You can, if you want to stay at a uh, Airbnb, you can do it on your phone. So your phone is kind of the vehicle through which you can do these life necessities, so-called, and you can stay in touch with everybody. And you can even post your latest adventure all over the phone. And so the phone is really enabling people to stay in touch with friends and family, yet do these wild, long, adventurous life changes. Okay, now just to have you elaborate on that, there are people that you're predicting, some are already doing this, will be doing more experiencing of the great outdoors almost as a lifestyle. What I would ask you is, what about the rest of us who may not do that? Do you think over the next few years, perhaps because of COVID, that as you sort of alluded to, more people will make it their intention to at least take a trip or two or several weekends a year to get out and do this stuff. Absolutely. Because I think that the old model of a vacation just for your, for your average person, so to speak, might, might've been, let's go to the Smithsonian institution. Well, the, the, there may be rules about it. You can't get in there by squeezing together and whatnot. So they're just pitching that whole idea. And so instead they're thinking, okay, well, we want to go on vacation. So we're going to go on to the great outdoors. Boy, there's, you know, in the United States, we're got, we're blessed with so many great outdoor destinations. I don't care where you live. There's somewhere nearby a state park or something. So I do think that people, see outdoor adventures as a more viable vacation right now than they do your typical thing of maybe Disneyland where, where you'd be squeezed in together again, you know, with all this. So, and, and I, I, looking forward, I think they're just, people are going to continue to 
spread the word, you know, that the guy, the neighbor down the street goes to the park and then he tells me about it. And then next thing you know, we're all camping. So, I, so that's what I see. And along with that, would it be accurate to extrapolate that if you are in the business of making canoeing equipment, if you're in the business of making backpacking equipment, if you're into camping, would those businesses, either the recreational businesses or the manufacturers, do you see them as benefiting from this as well? Absolutely, because there's just more people using more product. And the innovation nowadays is really incredible. I mean, when I think about the backpacks I used uh, 35 years ago versus what they have now, everything's lighter, lighter and stronger and tougher and, and, and more expensive. But you can get anything you want. And they're, they're, yeah, for, and also for outfitters people outfitting for trips. You, know, you can go down an outfitted trip down, you can float down the Grand Canyon. Wow. So, so there's, there's uh there's all sorts of, so outfitters, I think you're going to see an increase in business. Absolutely. They already have uh, state parks. I was just looking, I'm, I'm working on this hiking guide for Nashville right now. And I was just looking at the state park I was at. And the first thing to notice on the website says high visitation right now looking ahead there are going to be places where you're going to probably have to make reservations to go visit for the day i predict that yes really busy places so therefore what i do recommend to people is consider going during off times where you get a little more solitude and you can experience nature because just yesterday i was telling my wife whatever whatever happened to good old reality you know everybody looks at everything through their phone and i can tell you a virtual meeting is not is not as good. A virtual church service is not as good. And a virtual outdoor experience is certainly not as good. You can't see, you can't smell, you can't taste, you can't feel. So good old reality can be very good. So I say to people looking ahead, go experience it for yourself. Don't look at every people want to see it. people there's a trail people can look at videos of trails they can look videos of a river trip you know i went on a 21 day uh canoe i mean rafting trip through the grand canyon and this guy said hey you might want to look at the rapids in the water and i said no i don't want to look at them if i had looked at them i might not have gone <laughs> it's so crazy but i'm telling you let the experience come to you look see it with your own eyes so do your research with a, with a little bit of uh, tamp it down a little bit and just let it, let it rip. Yeah. Spontaneity, right? Yeah. 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 Now along those lines, you've taken me in a slightly different direction, but it's relevant. Oftentimes on looking forward, we also talk about opportunities that might be associated with trends. So do you see there being opportunities for people, whether they would be entrepreneurial opportunities or jobs or careers that are associated with the great outdoors? Absolutely. Well, yeah, back to the the thing about, you know, working from home. Well, people are working from home. Their home is just in their van and they're just traveling wherever they're going. Okay. So so, so that's the thing is people can can work. It's not necessarily chucking work. But yeah, in the outdoor travel guides, I think people now, they want quick hits. 
and they, they don't, they want to just go straight to the meat of the matter and that people being guided are, you know, for day trips, guided through caves, guided down rivers, guided hikes that I think quick hit that in the future, people just are going to say, sign up and then they're going to go and they're going to hit the meat of the matter and then they're going to get out. It's kind of reflective of our whole society at this moment for better or worse. So there are opportunities for that. Absolutely. And, and looking ahead that um, outdoor stores, I don't know if they're going to go better or worse, but I do know that people who want to do um, um, working at state parks, county parks, national parks, preserves, national forests, they're all going to be, they're all going begging for people are wanting, they want people to work there. They need, so you can get into that, uh, that end of it, the management end of parks and recreation. That's terrific, Johnny. Thanks for sharing that. Now I want to have you speak to your expertise about where people might want to go. We, again, have listeners who are not in the United States, but they hopefully will come here for the first time or the 20th time. So whether they be people who don't live here or people who live in the United States, if you had to have a list of the top U.S. adventures, outdoor adventures, mm -hmm. what would be a few? And I know you probably would have many, but what would be a few of the places and anything else that you might advise people to see or to bring with them or where to stay or anything like that, John? Yeah. Well, the United States, um, one of our... Uh, greatest inventions and exports is the national park. We invented the national park and the national parks are the superlative places for a reason. They are truly superlative. So when you would say, name the five iconic top national parks, they're probably the places to go. First off, I want to start with Everglades National Park. Oh. There is no other Everglades there is no other ecosystem on the planet like the Everglades wow. anywhere. Sometimes we think places just because they're nearby, they can't be cool. You, know, you got to go somewhere far away. But I can tell you, South Florida, the Everglades National Park, going on a backcountry paddling trip, you can camp on islands in the Gulf of Mexico. You can camp on shell mounds that were actually built by Indians gathering shells and eating the meat within and piling them up. And you can camp on historic shell islands. You can also camp on these platforms called chickies. And then Everglades is beautiful. They've got a hundred miles of wild coastline, beaches, uh, wildlife, bird life beyond measure, fishing, great place. Uh, second, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't believe I would say this, but, uh, but after having been there, I can't, can't unsay it. Acadia National Park. Oh. And it really is beautiful. It's not a wilderness type of park, but it's just got that natural beauty that is just so worth your time. I've, I've, I laud that place. And of course, being a Tennessean, I got to mention the Smokies. And even if there was a better place, <laughs> I wouldn't say so. so but it is truly uh when they were looking for national parks in the eastern United States, because the first ones were out west, Yellowstone and so forth, this group that examined places had said that Smokies is easily the biggest, the wildest, the most biodiverse of them all. And it was truly uh, one of the most biodiverse areas in the whole 
the United States. It's got waterfalls. It's got historic cabins, the trails, and it's uh, 6,000 feet of elevation change. And just, it's just one special part. Wow. And the Grand Canyon, like I said, I went through that 21 day trip on there and I can tell you it was bigger. It was wilder. It was higher. It was more. It was everything. There's a reason that was one of the first national parks, but, but you want to, ex- you want to explore it more. You got to devote time. When you start going these places, you don't want to just do a check off. Okay. Saw from the, saw the lookout from the South rim check, but really slow down and explore the park and Yellowstone national park. Did you know that Yellowstone national park has, I think it's over 80% of the world's thermo feature, thermal features. Wow. Of the whole planet is all the 80% of them is in one place. Wow. And I mean, just, they're so hard to believe to talk about something. You can go look at a picture of it, but you can't smell it, see it, feel it. And that place is worth it. It's worth the trip. Wow. Now those, those just right off the top of my head. And I'll just say one last one is, a personal favorite of mine. I've been as a boundary waters canoe area wilderness in Northern Minnesota. It's over a million acres within the greater superior national forest. There's over 2000 campsites and thousands of lakes, the densest concentration of lakes in North America. You actually paddle along these lakes. Then you ported your boat to the next place camp. And it's just it's more, it's my personal kind of go-to place. I've never written a book about it, but I've been up there 16 times. So, and you figure all the way from Tennessee to Minnesota, I must like it. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, that's a great short list. Any particular equipment that comes to mind that you would say people would want to have? Well, you know, they always say the, the safety and every, everything wise, the most important thing you want to take along is your brain. I know that sounds but you know what, a, a, a calculating mind and to take your time and to enjoy the moment is not only, it's, it's safer, think before you act. Don't, you know, down here, you know, we got a saying, hey, y'all, watch this. Yeah. You know, that's where, right before the guy jumps off the cliff into the, into the gorge. Yeah. But you really, your mind is your most important piece of equipment that you take with you. It just is. That's a good point. Johnny, one last thing before we let people know about how they can find your books and have you speak and all this good stuff, because you're a fascinating guy who's leading an extraordinary life, in my opinion. And that is, you were a rather young guy when you got into this. So my guess is that you probably were in pretty good shape when you started to do this. If you could comment briefly on what impact you think this kind of lifestyle has had on your health, physically, mentally, and what impact do you think it might have on other people who may not have embraced it at all? Oh, absolutely. You know, that I, I'm so blessed. I'm 59 years old, and I'm working on a book called Backpacking Florida right now. <laughs> this last year, I did Backpacking Tennessee. So what it does is we're designed to walk. Our bodies are designed to walk. We're not designed to run. We're not designed to go to a gym and push around weights. We are literally designed to walk. And when you walk through the woods and you start seeing yourself go farther and farther and farther with less and less effort, and it then you say, well, you know what? Maybe if I ate a little bit better, 
I might be in better health. Because in, in, in the, well, the greatest thing is you can hike, you can walk, whether you're three years old or 93, literally. That it's something you can do without life, do throughout life. A pro football player, your window is short. Yeah. Other things that a runner, a runner running is uh, probably not good in the long run. I don't, I don't want to make people mad, but it's just the truth. But walking out there, breathing the air, working your lungs, working your heart, and not overdoing it is so helpful. And, and you listen, just being, we're also, we're not designed to live in, to be in boxes 24 7, 365. We're actually, when we're out there, that's where we are. We are out there. We are designed to be out there too. So there's also the mental connection. And I, I, very uh, grateful that all the exercise that I've done and not, not killing myself, just walking. Just walking. Yeah. I, I was going to say, and we're not talking about, you have to be a mountain climber. Like I have a friend who mountain climbed for years. Yeah. I myself, I'm not real thrilled with going up very high places. If I got to climb up there, I'll take the elevator up there, but you I know, hear you. but, but, but you're, so you're not even talking necessarily about you have to do mountain climbing, right? No, not at all. In fact, you know, the, Everywhere is beautiful. You just got to know where to look. But people come to me and say, they'll say, uh, I'll say, oh, you, you just went on a hike. And they go, yeah, it was only six miles. And I'm thinking, you know, six miles is a long way. Yeah. My, my little thing is two miles a day, two miles a day, and you're fine. Two so it's not the distance. It's not the elevation gain. It's just the, the doing it on a regular basis. Consistency, right, Johnny? Yep. Yes. Johnny, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for our listeners to find out more about you, your books, your speaking engagements, what you're up to these days? I know one of those things has to do with the Nashville book. I also read you're going to, uh, or maybe you're done that book about the Berkshires. I love the Berkshires. So please share with everybody yeah. that. Yeah. Well, the best way to get, uh, to check me out is get on my website, johnnymalloy.com, M-O-L-L-O-Y, johnnymalloy.com. My books are on sale uh, on amazon.com all over the place. And uh, really what, what I just urge everybody to do is just get out there and experience it for yourself, really. That it's not, it's when, when I write these books, it's really not about me. It's about you having your experience because I love the great outdoors and it has made my life. It could hardly be any better. Yes. And so I just want other people to experience that for themselves. Yes. I think that you've certainly inspired me and people, I know you can't see Johnny, but he looks a heck of a lot younger than 59. And I wish I had his head of hair, by the way. <laughs> and I also want to say a little plug for Johnny here. I am going to be buying his book about Pennsylvania waterfalls because I'm from Pennsylvania and I love waterfalls and Johnny writes books that mention waterfalls. So if you're in a waterfalls, there's a whole other thing. So Johnny, thank you so much. This has been terrific. And I really appreciate your sharing your experiences and your knowledge with us today on looking forward. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, 
please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.